Well, we have come to the end of our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, 18 weeks <laughs> that we worked our way through the sermon. Uh, and it's been a blessing. Next week we will start the Gospel of John. So if you want to start reading ahead, that's where we're headed. But the closing of the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as one of their scribes. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. May God add his blessing to his reading of the word. I actually included the first verse of chapter 8. Because you'll begin, notice that chapter 1 began that he went up on the mountain. Chapter 8 begins he came down from the mountain uh, such a powerful symbol for people with a Jewish background to think in terms of Moses going up on the mountain to receive the commands of God and then coming down from the mountain and calling for them to be obedient although they had failed miserably the first time he came down by returning to their idol worship. He came down from the mountain. Now, I know he's not a builder, nor is he an architect. In fact, he's a country singer and songwriter who's actually known for some of his rough edges. But, that being said, it's not the beauty of the building you should look at. It's the construction of the foundation that will stand the test of time. David Allen Coe. But what he said is so true. And it's so important too because the parable of Jesus that he used to conclude the Sermon on the Mount stresses the importance of the foundation upon which the house is being built. The two contrasting buildings are reported in very close parallel. The only significant difference has to do when it's emphasizing the fate. One stands strong. The other falls flat. The wise man built on a solid rock foundation. The foolish man built on sand. Now, I was trying to think of a good image and I went all the way back to my childhood because we were able to make a trip and then make another trip 
we went I went all the way back to the construction of the Gateway Arch in St. Louis 1961 after believable, unbelievable amount of years of planning and struggling to get funds and getting approval from this group and that group. But finally, in 1961, they broke ground on the foundation. 60 feet of concrete reinforced with steel that actually went down an additional 30 feet into the bedrock. Two years constructing the foundation. I know the picture is horribly blurry, but that was from a reprint of a newspaper article, and that was the only picture I could find of the work on the foundation itself. Two years constructing the foundation. 1963 they completed the foundation and started the upper structure 1965 another two years and the upper structure was finished two years to build 60 feet two more years to build 630 feet and we all marvel at the 630 feet that we see above the ground and I remember I distinctly remember the ceremony when they put that last piece up there and I don't remember which one of the one, Hoovers it was but I think it was Herbert Hoover was there to, to give one of the speeches. It was that important. But two years because the foundation had to be secure enough that it would withstand potentially 150 mile an hour winds and not have the top of the tower move more than 18 inches. Yes, it is, David Allen Coe, the construction of the foundation that will stand the test of time. But listen to me. Though the parable stresses the rains, the floods, and the winds blowing and beating on the house, contrary to what a lot of people have written, the parable Jesus taught is not about us facing calamity. We'll face that. The parable is about us being obedient to the words of Jesus. And I think we need to remember that. That's the key issue. And I derive that from the fact that the key verse is the very first verse that I read. Verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, puts them into practice... And a few verses later, verse 26, the contrast, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them. That was what Jesus was, uh, was responding to. You see, hearing is what those people had been doing for the whole sermon. And now, the crowds were being challenged by Jesus to be doing the challenges of the message. When James, the half-brother of Jesus, 
son of Mary and Joseph, but not the Holy Spirit. James, when he's writing his, what probably was a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount in Jewish form, when he's talking about this subject in chapter 2, verse 14 and following, James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? In other words, he hears, he knows the message, but he doesn't do anything. Can that faith save him? If a brother or your sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, oh, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, without actually doing something to fix the problem? What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, oh, you have faith. And I have works. Remember how James responds? Show me your faith. Apart from anything you're doing. And I'll show you my faith by my works. You see, repeatedly, we've heard the call of Jesus throughout the sermon to be different from everybody else. To be both the salt and the light of the world. As someone might say, well that's fine, but my salt shaker is only about half full or my batteries are a little bit weak. They're not very strong. You know what? We don't always have the best tools to work with on a personal level. But we are all gifted differently. And we are gifted and expected to use our gifts. And you don't know. You don't know how important your gift might be to somebody while you're thinking, oh, I, I know this isn't much. I want you to do something right now. I want you to do something, not just hear something. How many of you at one time or another have gotten a card in the mail and opened it up and read it and just really felt blessed? I have. And someone might say, well, that's not much, just signing these cards and putting it in an envelope and putting it in the mail. And yet, Almost everybody raised their hands. A blessing. And I'm going to tell you what. I don't have the gift of remembering and sitting down and trying to get... I don't even remember all of the birthdays. I have to tell Jesse, okay, did we, where, where are we at on the birthdays? We, we just had one, didn't we? Who's coming up next? And Grandma's got it down, fortunately. Our gifts are not the same, but they're important. And what we have to work with, now this one might be a little tough. What we have to work with might be some bricks that were used against you. Remember Huntley and Brinkley? Grew up on their 
news report, the Huntley Brinkley report on the evening news. David Brinkley said, a successful person is one who can lay a firm foundation with the bricks others have thrown at them. Now, those little brackets are simply because I changed the masculine gender for all of us. Instead of him and him, I changed it to something that we could all identify with because I think that's how he meant it. As Jesus begins his conclusion, there are four important points that I believe are rather obvious. In his infinite wisdom, Jesus knows that one of the most deadly temptations that you and I as his followers will face is the temptation to hear but not do. To understand but not obey. As Jesus was about to ascend to his Father, his mandate was for us to be obedient. After pronouncing his authority in heaven and on earth, he said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It's Jesus who said, If anyone loves me, he'll obey my teaching. John 14, 23. And... You are my friends if you do what I command. John 15 verse 14. Somewhere we've gotten this idea along the way that all that matters is what's between our ears. Oh, I believe. So I'm okay. (laughs) I've said it many times. I can go back to it again. James says, you believe there's one God? Good. The demons believe that there is one God and they shudder with fear. It's not just what you believe in your head. Who in the Gospel of Mark identifies Jesus correctly most often? The demons. Have mercy on me, son of David, son of the Most High. Have you come to torture me? The demons knew who Jesus was. Did that bring them salvation? No. It's not just what you believe. And so, when we look at these verses that we just read, in the very first verse of our text, we're confronted with a call to action. It's a call to be doing something. And that something is to be consistent with the words that Jesus has proclaimed. Let me go back to the Great Commission. We're to be making disciples. We're to be baptizing. We're to be teaching. And we're to be obedient to everything. The call to be a disciple of Jesus is a call to be imitators of God as beloved children. As the front of our bulletin for today points out. Implied in this, secondly, is a call for decision. As we looked at the triads, you have heard that it was said, but I say. The opposing standards are graphically described, and the way of Jesus is commended. Our righteousness is to be deeper 
because it reaches even our hearts. Our love is to be broader because it embraces even our enemies. In piety, we're to avoid the showiness of the hypocrites and in prayer, the verbosity of the pagans. Instead, our giving, our praying, and our fasting are to be real with no compromise of our Christian integrity. And we are to be doing them. It wasn't if you pray. It wasn't if you give. It wasn't if you fast. It's when you do it. For our treasure, we're to choose what endures through eternity, not what disintegrates on earth. For our master, God, not money or possessions. It's, uh, that's wrong, you quit already. It's 1049. How many people do you think have already made a decision today? Well, I guess I'll go and do this rather than go and worship with other believers. Priorities. As for our ambition, what is it that preoccupies our minds? You see, it shouldn't be our own material security, but the spread of God's rule and righteousness in the world. Instead of conforming to this world, whether in the form of religious Phariseeism or of irreligious paganism, we're called by Jesus to imitate our Heavenly Father. He's a peacemaker. He loves even the ungrateful and the selfish. And so we need to be copying Him, not other people. And it's only then that we show that we are in fact true sons and daughters of our Father in Heaven. I've, uh, I've often been told, well let me tell you just a short little one. I called my dad one day at his office. His secretary answered. And she immediately went into a couple of important things that he needed to know. I realized quickly he wasn't there. And I said, Wilma, and she stopped talking. I said, this is Chauncey, not CA. Oh, you sounded just like your father on the phone. <laughs> I shared with you about how I had a shirt that had the picture of Jesus on it. Long hair and beard. How a lady came up to me and said, Where did you find a shirt that looks just like you like that? Because at that time I had long hair and a beard. And I turned around and I said, Well, actually, and the back said, And at the knee, knee, a name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And I told her, I said, I wish I did in my behavior and my daily living. I wish I did look like Jesus so much that people would mistake me for him. See, the alternative 
is that we have to decide either to follow the crowd or to follow our Father in heaven. Either to be a reed swayed by the winds of public opinion or to be ruled by God's Word. That's the revelation of His character and His will. And the overriding purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to present us with this alternative. And so to face us with the indispensable necessity of choice. That's why the sermon's conclusion is so appropriate. As Jesus sketches the two ways, the narrow and the broad, and the two buildings on rock or on sand, it would be impossible to exaggerate the importance of the choice between them since one way leads to life while the other way leads to disaster, destruction. The one building is secure while the other is overwhelmed. You see, far more momentous than the choice even of a life work or a life partner. And that's so important. Is the choice about whether or not we're going to be obedient to Jesus. Which road are we going to travel? On which foundation are we going to build? Thirdly, there's a call for an application of God's will. It's not just, I want you to get up and do. As long as you're doing, doesn't matter what you do, just get up and do. I said that the other day. I was getting up from breakfast. And I said, well, I guess I better go do something. It'd be better than just doing nothing. But it's not just getting up and doing. It's not just doing the things that feel right. It's not just doing the things that are politically correct. Jesus stresses not once but twice that we are to respond directly to these words of mine. In this age of permissive, permissiveness, of pluralism, it's okay. They're sincere. Whatever they believe, it's okay if they're sincere. And we, we tend to forget, by the way, it was much the same in Jesus' day during that little period of time. His claims stand out pretty sheer and pretty stark. He does not agree with those who say that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. He does not allow for us to think that we are all climbing up to God by the route of our choice, whichever choice that might be. He does not fit in with the shallow pluralism that our society is putting out. Instead, Jesus says that there are only two ways that we can build. Not many ways. Just two ways. We either build on Him and His teaching, which we'll find is as solid as a rock, or else we build on any other religion or philosophy in the world and we'll find out that that's mere sand. And in the last day it'll spell ruin. Our call is to apply God's will as the guiding rule for all of our decisions. 
And finally, a call for a careful choice. The sermon ends on the same note of a careful, radical choice that it began and that we've been seeing throughout. Jesus doesn't set before his followers a string of easy ethical rules. No, he's given us a set of values and ideals which is entirely distinctive from the way of the world. I heard somebody just this last week. Well, I'll tell you what. I I really don't know what I would do if the economy collapsed and everything was worthless again. I said, really? I said, I know what I'd do. He said, what? I said the same thing that I was doing yesterday. Maybe it's because I don't have anything much to, to be concerned about, but we get caught up in the prevailing culture and what they say is important. When I was teaching college, I used to have them write an essay the first day of class that was titled, Who Am I? Invariably, the students would write things that describe their roles in society. Not who they are as a person. Well, I'm struggling pretty insecure, blah, blah, blah. No, it's, I have this role and this role and this title. Well, as I was looking back at some of the main points of the sermon, I think we can see throughout the sermon that Jesus has been building for us already some foundational teachings. For instance, chapter 5, verse 16. We're not to hide our lamps, but we're to put them on a stand. In other words, our daily living should be one in which we are letting our light shine before others so that they can see what? Our good works. Not what we can impress them with what we believe from our heads. Our good works. And give glory to our Father in heaven. Chapter 6 verse 1. After going through six ways in which our actions should be above board. Jesus said beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. What is implied is that we are to be practicing righteousness. We're to be working at it. Chapter 6, verse 20. We're called to lay up for ourselves treasures. Where? In heaven. And we are going to be doing this if we're following Him. Verse 25. We're not to be anxious, but we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, if you know how to seek for anything without doing something, let me know that. After hearing what righteousness is all about, Jesus says, get going. Seek it. Chapter 7, three commands of prayer. To ask, to seek, and to knock. In order to be receiving, finding, and having open doors. Action words. 
not sitting being entertained words. Worship is important. It's important for us to come together. But this hour that we spend on Sunday mornings does not define what we are to be doing as Christians. And then, verse 13, last Sunday. Traveling the hard, narrow, straight way. Finding and entering through the gate that leads to life. Which, by the way, Jesus said, is not the way of the majority. But a way that few find. And I struggle with that. Because I have a lot of family members who by name are Christian. But when you look at the way they are living, they are anything but Christian. The church is the bride of Christ. And yet a lot of them say, well, I love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the church. Guys, how many of you are going to be real good friends with somebody that says, I like you, but I don't want anything to do with your wife? See, these are all foundational steps that lead us to the point where we're ready to build our houses because we have been hearers and doers. We have prepared a solid rock foundation. And the rock is Jesus. So here's the challenge. It involves a recognition that Jesus is issuing a call. A call that involves knowing and understanding as Paul said to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God, a worker that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study what? The word of truth. What's the word of truth? The scriptures. So without the obvious rebellion of saying no, how can we hear and not obey? Well, Neil Lightfoot in a book called The Parables of Jesus identifies three for us. He says sometimes we just simply choose not to act. We hear the message. We agree with the message. We say, oh, I'm, I'm going to do something this way or that way about it. But instead of doing something, we slip back into our lethargic states. I got home. On September the 11th from Louisville, Kentucky and the lights were on at the church. There were cars everywhere and the people were in there praying. I didn't organize it as a minister. I was down in Louisville teaching elementary school. And that Sunday there were a lot of people filling the pews. And the next Sunday less. And the next Sunday less. You see, sometimes we just, we just choose not to act when we should. Secondly, we decide we're not going to be inconvenienced. Oh, I understand that. We're, I'm, I'm willing to obey if it's pleasant and convenient, but if it conflicts in some way with what I want to do, now, that's when I start to make my defenses. Well, you know, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized, will he? I've heard people say that. They just didn't want to get baptized. I don't understand it. 
Why would you not want to bury the old self and rise to walk in newness of life to receive all of the gifts that we are told in Scripture that we receive when we do that in obedience? We forget that Christ's mission to earth was not to make it easy for us, but to save us. And finally, he says, we, we fail to look ahead. Fail to look ahead. I said it week before last. Boy, I wish I knew now what I knew back when I was in my 30s. I, I knew it. I had heard it. But I didn't look ahead in terms of what some of those little decisions would mean in the long run. You see, sometimes we could have, but we didn't want to consider and accept the changes in our lifestyle that living in obedience would have required. And so we, we choose to be hearers, but not doers. See, this is the bottom line of the sermon. Are you willing to be a hearer of the words of Jesus and a doer so that your choices lead to life and not to destruction? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today realizing that yes, there are many things in the Bible that we don't understand. But Father, help us to be troubled by the things that we do understand that we're not being obedient to. And as we make our decisions in the moments ahead or in the hours ahead or the days, weeks, or years ahead, help us to make decisions of doing and being obedient. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of commitment.